Good morning. There's one out there. Okay. We're going to talk this morning about uh, the uncommon walk. Um, so, my life is uncommon. And part of that is um, that the people that know me would say that it's weird, that I am just weird, and that makes my walk, I choose to say, uncommon. Uh, Part of that, part of my walk, the other part of that uncommon part is what I've learned from God about walking. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. So it began with me when I, and I, I need to go back and talk about my history a little bit. And then we'll talk about the covenant of God with us. And then we'll talk about what that looks like when we put it into application in our own lives. So it began with me when I was about 12. And I was attending... Methodist Youth Fellowship, and um, something happened that night, and uh, I went home after the message. I can't remember what the message was about, but um, I went home, walked through the house, walked past my two sisters who used to torture me unmercifully, but um, I forgive them. Anyway, um, walked through the house, walked into the backyard, laid down in the grass in the night, and looked up at all the stars and could not believe that God was real. How could God, this master of the universe and all these stars, how could he know that I existed? This kid, this 12-year-old kid laying in a backyard in Detroit, Michigan, did God really know that I was there. And I found that incomprehensible, that he would actually care that I would even existed. And so I asked him, this was my question, I looked up at the stars and I said, okay, if you are real, show yourself. Show yourself that you are real. I don't want to hear about you from people in a pulpit. I don't want to read about you in a book. I don't want to listen to testimonies of missionaries from Africa. I want to know that you are real. Show yourself. I did not have a real close communication with God at that time, so it took two years for that message to get wherever he was and come back. But when I was 14, he showed himself. And I was at Methodist Youth Fellowship. Now, again, you have to understand my, my whole motivation for going to this thing had nothing to do with God. Okay? I went because it was fun. I played games. I ate cookies. I would make eye contact with Cheryl while everybody was supposed to be praying. And I would give her the sign, and she would give me the sign. And then we would ease our way towards the coat room where we would make out. 
my parents couldn't figure out why I wanted to go to youth meeting on Sunday night. It was all about the coat room. But on this particular night, God showed up. And he didn't show up in the way I thought he would. He showed up in the form of four old grandma ladies from the Salvation Army. And they had on their, they had gray grandma hair in a little bun on top of their head. And they had grandma plaid skirts and grandma black shoes with their nylons rolled down by the ankle over unshaved grandma legs. <laughs> it was gross. And they were a brass quartet, or yeah, quartet, and they played their instruments and then they took turns talking. And it was the calling. God called my name. Who would have thought that? So I, I forgot about Cheryl. I, I, I was on something had happened to me, and I went downstairs into the sanctuary. And I, um, you know, kids do strange things. But I took all of the consecrated holy things off the altar and put them on, piled them on the floor and laid down on the altar in the dark and said, here I am. He didn't show himself physically, but I knew something had happened to me. I was in pursuit of him now. He was in pursuit of me. So fast forward two whole days of my asking God into my heart and being saved. And my mom had me in tow. This was during the summer vacation. My mom was a very discerning woman. Very, she was wise in knowledge that she should never leave me alone at home. And so she had me in tow for the uh, meeting of the Women Christian Temperance Union. And I was down at church again, saved and sanctified. And my two buddies that I used to hang around with in church, they were down there too because their moms knew that they shouldn't be home alone either. And so we were just terrorizing things when we would get together. And on this day, we decided we were hungry. So... We stood, we got on each other's shoulders in the alley and got up to the second door, second story window that opened into the kitchen, and we proceeded to steal pieces of pie and cookies and sandwiches. We didn't take any utensils, so we had to eat, eat these pies with our hands. But we sat in the alley and ate our stolen pies. I'd been sanctified too. <laughs> whole days. And here I was stealing pies out of the Women's Christian Temperance Union meeting. So I thought this was not the way to go. This was not right. So I checked with my mama, my grandmother. I said, mama, I said, what's the deal with being saved? And she said, she was a Southern Baptist, good Southern Baptist, once saved, always saved uh, kind of person. She said, honey, all you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart and get dunked. Uh, in the Methodist church, they sprinkled you. 
and you were, you, you were a kid or a baby, they sprinkled you. She didn't think that counted for anything. So you had to get dunked. So I said, that's it? She said, yep, that's it. So I worked out the baptism thing by going to the Baptist church. I became a Baptist for a couple months. The girls were not as cute. They couldn't dance. They couldn't sing, they couldn't sing anything that was on the radio. They couldn't go to movies. There was no way in the world I was going to get them near a coat room. But I was on a mission. I memorized a bunch of scriptures. I attended a dunking class. And I splashed my way into the book of life. This was great. I checked with my mamma. Are you sure that's all there is? It's just some words in a dunking? And she said, yep. I'm saved, right? Yep. So hypothetically, it wouldn't count if I stole pies or anything like that. She said, nope. You're saved. Later, I wanted to be Catholic. But that had to do with not wanting to get beat up by the Catholic kids on the block and wanting to play CYO football and wanting to marry Jenny Wilson or at least get her into a coat room somewhere. And the Catholics had it better than anyone. They could go to church on Saturday night, which meant you could sleep in on Sunday, go right to dinner and NFL football. They ate in restaurants on Fridays during Lent. They could go to confession and wipe everything out. So I figured I had to add this stuff. Jesus into my heart, getting dunked, and then if I did all this stuff, I could get one of those mansions that everybody talked about. But Mamaw assured me that I was just adding stuff that I didn't need. So I had already said the right words, and I had been dunked. Well, then came college and the army, and I don't have to explain what happens there, except that I was a long, long way from laying on an altar table. And I fast forward to my 30s, and when I was serving in Korea and Vietnam, my wife had found the Pentecostals. When I came home, she said, you got to check these people out. My one question was, do I have to get dunked again? She said, no. But these people are serious about living a life. I said, you mean asking Jesus into my heart and being baptized isn't enough? And she said, you got to talk to these people. So I went and talked to them. I said, well, what if I confess and come to church a couple times on Sunday and Wednesday? And they said, no, that doesn't cut it. And they explained that there was a life to be lived in a covenant with God and in partnership with the Holy Spirit. I'd gone through the Baptist stuff, I'd, gone, I'd wanted to be a Catholic, I'd gone through the Methodist stuff, I had heard very little about covenant and the Holy Spirit. I thought of my mamma in my college and army days, and so I asked them, is this a requirement for salvation? But they said, no, but it is an outcome of your salvation. When you were called by God, what was your life like? They asked. Well, I couldn't tell them about the pies. I couldn't tell them about Cheryl in the coat room. I just said, you know what? You're right. I have no walk. 
It's pretty much just church on Sunday and the world the rest of the week. Well, they said, there's a life of the Spirit, a life of covenant with God, and when you live that life, allowing God to live through you, what you have said in your mouth becomes an expression of his love. They walked me through the third chapter of John and explained that being born again is different than believing. Being born again is being rebirthed in your spirit. The uncommon life does not come without first believing, but we can believe and not have the uncommon life because our spirit is not reborn in the Holy Spirit. I'm unqualified to speak to you about a walk in the Spirit. It would be like me standing up here smoking a cigar, telling you why you shouldn't smoke. Okay? I cannot hold my life up as a testimony of, of scrutiny. Between the pie-stealing, there are glimmers of the uncommon life. I am better than I used to be but I'm not there yet. I asked my wife, Vicki, uh, what areas of my life she would consider an uncommon life with God. And there was a long, prolonged silence. And then she said, well, then she said, well, again. And then she said, well, you're, you're always just. There isn't a whole lot of mercy in there, and there's only a glimmer of compassion, but that's because you just don't like people. <laughs> but you are consistently just, and you're generous. You're not really giving because you don't like your, to give up your time, but you're generous in some ways, and you're trustworthy. If you give your word to somebody, you almost always do it. And you're passionate. I moved toward her and repeated, passionate, really? She didn't even turn around to see me advance. She never stopped working on her painting. No, she said, not that kind of passionate. And if you notice, there were standards, justice, generosity, trustworthiness, passion, but they are still formative. They're inconsistent. There is justice without mercy, generosity without giving. I almost always fulfill my word. Passionate, but the passion still comes out in anger sometimes. The uncommon life is not a destination. It is a journey, a walk in covenant with God. So when we talk about the uncommon life, it is that the more we give ourselves over to him, the more we become who we are meant to be. It is a covenant. The word covenant comes from the Latin conveniere, which means to come together or live together. The covenant God established with Adam and later made with us is not a contract. A contract is when something is exchanged. A covenant is the forming of a life 
fellowship, a bonding together sealed with oaths and blood. With the Jews, there was the ceremony of the oaths, the dividing of sacrificial animals. Both Abraham and God walked between the animals, and when God required of, of the Jews a blood sign of circumcision. In contrast, a contract is an exchange of goods. It is receiving something and in return promising to pay for that service or give something in return. A covenant is a spiritual bonding sealed with an oath. A contract is an exchange of goods sealed with a promise. An example of a covenant would be marriage. An example of a contract would be your job. The root of our problem is that we think we're in a contract with God and not in a covenant. It is the fallacy of our faith that we look at our walk with God in this way, that we will have faith and he will save us in return. We will do good works and he will give us a mansion. Or we will be obedient to the law and he will give us stuff. And if, we don't, if he doesn't give us stuff, then we can break the contract and go about our own lives the way we want to. The truth is that we are in a covenant with him, and this requires that we are part of his life as he is part of our life. His uncommon life is meant to be our uncommon life. So this attitude has brought the church exactly to the place where Judaism was in 33 AD. By the time of Jesus, Judaism had degenerated into the Torah and the law, and it was no longer a covenant of walking in the Spirit with God. The appointment of a salvation was only for a handful of the devout, and the covenant had become an end in itself. We promise to do this sacrifice. We promise to obey this law. We promise to observe this feast day, pay this temple tax, and you, God, in return, will save us. In the medieval church, the formulation of the doctrine of the new covenant eliminated the Jews from salvation, and the new covenant theology became a separating point between religions. Christians are saved, everybody else is going to hell. But the covenant is much more than that. It is actually about more about the walking of life than it is salvation. The new covenant is a fellowship with God based on spirit, and this is the Old Testament scripture, Jeremiah 31, 33, 34. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my laws in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the greatest, from, from the least of them to the greatest. This is the first century church. This is the church that didn't base their lives on belief. They based it on a spiritual walk with God. This is the church after Pentecost. They read the scriptures together. They shared their lives together. 
They gave to each other. They prayed with each other. They worshiped together. They protected each other. They served the community. They exercised their spiritual gifts. They walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it went downhill from there. Come the Roman Catholic Church in 310. And just as the Jews had done before them, the Roman Church does not realize that they are in a covenant with God. And it becomes a contract of good works. We will go to Mass. We will recite the Rosary. We will go to confession. We will pay to build the cathedral that will house the little toe of St. James the Handy. And we will pray and pay to get Aunt Gertrude out of purgatory. We will take part in the sacraments. In return, the church will give a stamp of approval on our salvation. And then comes the Protestant church. And the covenant is diminished to the just shall live by faith. We will pray the prayer of faith. Jesus, come into my heart. And we will get dunked. And we are saved. The only way to salvation is justification by faith. Belief is paramount. A concern for one's own salvation with living true to religious dogma and one's own righteousness outweighs the welfare of one human being who does not believe exactly like I do or look like me. The Protestant church misses the point of covenant just like the Jews and the Catholics. The Jews wrapped themselves in obedience to the law, the Roman Catholics to sacraments and works, and here in Protestant land we sit here content to all I have to say is I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, get baptized, and the contract is signed. We stop wrestling with truth, and petrify our covenant into Sunday morning, four songs, a 30-minute message, some money in the bag, and we're done. Our faith has become an end in itself. The key to the life of purpose is living life as a testimony, as a covenant, More is required of us than Jewish obedience or Catholic works or Protestant belief. James 2. As a body without a spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. 1 John 2. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. In Galatians 5, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. There are 53 more scriptures exactly like that, that talk about more is required of us than just faith. There is a life to be lived in the fellowship and covenant of God 
and in the direction of the Holy Spirit that is a requirement that is laid on us beyond faith. It doesn't matter if we are good Jews fulfilling our obedience. It doesn't matter if we are good Catholics doing our works. It does not matter if we are good Coventers saying all the right words. What matters is a life in covenant with the Spirit of God expressing itself through love. So when the Salvation Army grandmas brought me the calling of God and I responded, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, came into my life and I was saved. But I was unable to live that uncommon life until my spirit was born again. As a believer in Christ, I was stealing pies and thought nothing of it. But when I decided that God was more than just belief, the Holy Spirit came into covenant with me. I began to walk differently. He wrote himself into my mind and heart, and I began to change. Words without substance are hollow. It's like a person walking through a throng of people that are starving to death, saying, God bless you. I believe in Jesus Christ without striving to be like him are the words that the birds would eat or the words that fell on hard ground or the words that are buried in the weeds. If we want the uncommon life or the words, I'm sorry, if we want the uncommon life, it needs to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And in that instance, we would be walking through a starving crowd with a ham in our hands. Like Mother Teresa said, I used to pray that God would bless the poor until one morning I looked in the mirror and I realized it was me. A life that consists of only I believe in Jesus Christ and I go to church and I say prayers and I do all the works prescribed by my obedience is not the uncommon life. Worship is not singing songs. Worship is how we live. I believe does not make me a Christian. No more than sitting in a garage would make me a car. It is the necessary 24 hours of life in the Spirit that makes us who we can become. My wife Vicki and I saw Lauren and uh, Alex, several others in the congregation, we keep bags in our car. Vicki makes these bags up for the homeless and there's uh, lip balm in there and tissue and snacks and little beef weenies and stuff in these bags. And then in the winter, she knits scarves and she puts in gloves. And we'll be traveling along and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will speak to her. And we might pass 20 homeless guys on the street, and then all of a sudden, there is this one. And she'll say, that one. So we scramble for this bag. Where is it? Under the seat. And I throw some money in it and we, we give it away. So we were coming home from Easter service. We're coming down Germain. We got to uh, Arizona Avenue, and here's this guy pulling his cart. And she said, that's him. 
So I made him stop in the middle of traffic, and I put some money in a bag, and I, we handed this bag out, and he said, this is a beautiful day. It's Easter. Here was this homeless guy saying it's a beautiful day. It's incredible. In that moment, color didn't matter. Religion, social status, gender, politics, ethnicity. It was just a beautiful day. The Jews call this a mitzvah. And according to Rabbi Abraham Herschel, who happened, what happened in that moment was a mitzvah. This is what Judaism was supposed to be instead of a religion of obedience. It was what Catholicism was supposed to be until it turned into a religion of works. It is what our walk is supposed to be rather than just a belief. A mitzvah is an ongoing series of sacred acts. It is not an imitation of the divine. It is not a likeness. It is making our being common again with God. Mitzvahs are not a reflection of man's will or the maxims of holy books. It is a recreation of his love. It is our own life bent to the spirit. Man is not made for only the good deed or for obedience to the law or for belief. The goal of life is that the deed performed would be the man transformed. And the purpose of a mitzvah is to change the heart. He who does a mitzvah lights a lamp before God. Our whole life is meant to be a sacred act, not just isolated moments. If the Navajo ministry had gone once, that would have been a nice mission trip. But it is this consistency of repetition, of mitzvah, that makes the uncommon life. It's not going to church on Sunday. It is going to church consistently on Sunday. It's not volunteering once to go to the animal shelter and pick up dog poop. It is that giving spirit that makes us in covenant with God, directed by the Holy Spirit. It is a consistency, and it becomes a life of worship. Our life is supposed to be a life of worship. So the failure of Judaism by the time of Christ and the failure of Christianity since is that we do not understand that we are in a covenant with God, that he is to walk in our life and we are to walk in his. And it is sealed by the Holy Spirit who gives us direction and says that one or that place or these people. Our whole lives are meant to be lived in each other. And the world needs less to see secret holiness or individual belief or public sacred holiness or ritual duty. And it needs to be 
and see more of a consistency of covenant with God and a life that is worshipful as it is lived among other people. Mother Teresa again. She's talking about how they spent their day in Calcutta. And she said, in the morning we pray and we seek the face of God. And then in the afternoon we go out into the streets and we look for him. And this is John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one comes to see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. But Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Most all of us in here have belief. God in some way has shown himself to us and we have faith. We might have even been dunked along the way. But there is a life of the Spirit. There is a birthing of our spirit in which it is joined in covenant with the Holy Spirit. And that is when Life becomes uncommon. And the consistency of walking a worshipful life is more than Sunday morning. And that's what God expects of us. That's what he requires of us. He requires a life that becomes the life of worship. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray that sometime during this week, all of us, and I, I have to do this continually, we all do, to check ourselves and value what parts of our life are worshipful and what parts of our life are not and what parts of our life are directed by the Holy Spirit and what parts of our lives we are directing ourselves. A life lived outside of worship, a life lived outside the expression of love that it has been shown to us is not worth living. Father, I pray your presence of the Holy Spirit 
in everybody's heart today.